Hello and welcome to a special off-topic but timely episode of WMQ Presents. Uh, I'm your host, Dan Grote. Uh, with comics getting ready to return to publication in earnest in a few weeks, we figured it was a good time to get some perspective on everything that's been going on. So to do that, we put together a team big enough to rob a casino, except everybody is the wisecracking explosives expert. Uh, first up, foremost up, it is my co-host, my best friend, the dean to my Hank Venture. It is Matt Lazowitz. Go team Venture! Hi, everybody. <laughs> Uh, next up, you know him from his Why Will column at WMQ and his many thoughts on Sean Gordon, Gordon Murphy's ba- uh, White Knight series. It's Will Nevin. Oh, God damn it. What's up? Uh, then from DC Super Sons podcast and CBR, where he just wrote a really good piece about waiting for the trade, it is Dan McMahon. Hey. And finally, we've got a WMQ first-timer. He is the manager of Dewey's Comic City in Madison, New Jersey, and uh, Matt's former co-worker, it is John Bush. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Uh, well, you know what? That, that is my first question. For uh, How is everybody doing? <laughs> Answer that as loadedly or unloadedly as you would like. <laughs> uh, well, I'll start off, I guess. Um, uh, you know, at, at the store, uh, we're closed right now, obviously. Yeah. New Jersey's uh, under stay-at-home order. Um, and all non-essential businesses are ordered closed, which, you know, I, I still take issue with that classification. But, you know. I wasn't going to argue it to the police's face, so here we are. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm just at home, you know, reading stories, uh, tracking the industry. I mean, occasionally uh, the boss goes in and does, uh, you know, mailaways for people that have uh, ordered stuff, but for the most part, you're just sitting waiting for something to change, mm-hmm. which is sort of uh, the industry in a nutshell. But you know. When has that ever not been true? Fair enough. <laughs> well, y'all hear from me every week, so I'm, you know, plugging along, writing. Dan and I are coming up with stuff for y'all to listen to. So hope you've been enjoying it. <laughs> Get toiling away in that content mine. <laughs> I decided to um, get into a new DC character, the Phantom Stranger. Um, And I was like, oh, yeah, let's go read his origin. And his original origin story, quote unquote, is a four story issue of Secret Origins where every story has very heavy religious overtones. And one story where he is from the future, but he's not because he fights the embodiment of the anti-life. Um so it's it's been uh, fun. Employment has been fun. Um, being locked at home, uh, getting to some weird stuff. It. I know the famous one in there is the Alan Moore story. Who wrote mm-hmm. the other three? Mm-hmm. I, I've read the issue. I have it somewhere, but I could tell you if I had my script still open. <laughs> it's all good. It's all There's... good. I decided we're covering it on Super Sons because mm-hmm. I, I, I want to confuse everyone else like I've been confused. Have you read the uh, the original stuff yet? Because they did uh, two volumes of the Showcase Presents back in the day. I just got the first one. It's supposed to be here on Monday. Yeah. I read them when they came out. The Jim Aparo art, I mean, it is great. I, I love Aparo's stuff. And that was... Prior to when he became, you know, the definitive Batman artist for a, two decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, like the Phantom Stranger has always been a character who's interested me. And like, I know his New 52 origin as Judas, but 
Um, I was like, you know what? I'm going to just try to get into this new character. He's got a hell of a look, too. His big medallion. Yeah. Yeah. He's like a vampire with all, with all, what's the, the line from Professor Frank? With all those medallions that nobody knows how they earned. <laughs> how about you, Will? How's my, how's my Alabama Slamma doing? Uh, fair to partly cloudy. Uh, you know, can't, can't really complain, but then again, everything is bad and terrible. Um, Finishing up the semester for my students, which is weird under most circumstances. Uh, I tend to get all wistful at the end of a school year, but it's even weirder and more awkward now. But uh, we're making it. We're making it. Okay. I'm glad glad you're all here. Uh, Yeah, so when when Matt and I initially envisioned this episode, we wanted it to be a debate among the the three kinds of comics consumption. Digital only, trade waiters slash graphic novel guys, and floppy fiends, your typical Wednesday warriors. This, of course, was uh, weeks ago, possibly while we were all still laughing at Comic Hub, which, which feels like forever ago now. Uh, as as does so much in in Corona times when it is perpetual Thursday, uh, seventeen years ago when that was an idea. Yeah, <laughs> gonna save the industry, <laughs> Morty. We're gonna save the industry. <laughs> uh, you know that new sound you've been looking for? Um, <laughs> that's coming back tonight, isn't it? New Rick yep. and Morty tonight. Yes. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, now we're, we're staring down the barrel of, of Diamond returning to shipping in just a couple short weeks. So I, I guess, you know, to start off, was, was, this a, was this ever a long enough period of time for us to, you know, when, when everything started and, and the shop and it was like this domino effect of, of shops closing and uh, publishers saying, all right, we're going to stretch out our release schedule. And then Diamond saying, oh, no, you're all not getting anything. And then... You know, Marvel waiting until the last minute to pull all its releases from Comixology on like Monday or a Tuesday, you know, and, and after a few weeks of that, I guess it's been like, it'll be like six, seven weeks, you know, total when this is all over. In the beginning, people were like, oh, this is an opportunity to, to take a breath and really examine how we want the industry to, to, to look like going forward. And, and, you know, we all know the problems with it and everything. And, and now we're kind of returning to form. I mean, you know, you saw a couple people try and suggest changes. We saw the comic hub thing, which was, you know, we'll, we'll get into that, uh, you know, uh, and then DC kind of deciding it was going to see other distributors, but, but largely on, on May 20th, if everything goes as planned and, and God knows that there's plenty of time for things to not go as planned, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at kind of a return to form, you know, was this, was this really enough time to do anything sort of revolutionary to the system we've heard people point out the flaws in for, you know, I don't know, let's say since Heroes World in 97. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll start here because I think, Dan, you and I had talked about this. Dan Grote, we had two Dans now, I gotta, you know, <laughs> differentiate. Um, and the thing that that got me was that people don't see, at least from the retail end, 
don't seem to know what they want. They there was you know has been years of Diamond has a monopoly and we need to do something about that. But every time someone proposed anything else, you'd see a ton of retailers come out of the woodwork saying that no, this isn't going to work without offering anything constructive on what the right answer might be. Okay, you don't want to, you're a, a retailer who doesn't want to give Midtown or uh, DCBS. DCBS, thank you. Your money because they're your competition. Okay then what is the answer? Is it some sort of co-op distribution model with every retailer kicking in? Is it something else? No one seemed to offer any answer to what the solution should be. It was just a lot of, well, this thing isn't going to work. I think part of the problem is this sort of came up abruptly. You know, it's not like anyone was sitting there thinking, all right, if we just get a, a little break in the industry, I can implement this uh, plan I've been working on for years and years. Um, so it, this thing was just sort of sprung on everybody. Nobody really knew what to do about it. Nobody still knows what to do about it. Because um, at least here, it's been you know like a month and a third, um, like five, six weeks mm-hmm. um, since the shutdown started in Jersey. Um, so I that's not really enough time to plan, implement, and execute a nationwide strategy for distributing comics uh, when you don't even know when stores and what area are going to be open. Like uh, here in Jersey, they can start shipping uh, at the end of May if they want. I have no idea if our store is going to be allowed to be open at that time. Um, you know, we'll still be we'll be there to accept the, uh, the shipments and we'll do, you know, mail order and all that kind of stuff. But, um, as the week before the shutdown showed, when we started doing, uh, curbside and mail away, a lot of people just don't want to do that. Um, they want to come into the store and see everything. Um, I mean, if it's the only choice, it's the only choice. Um, but if you're talking about like a DCBS direct distribution model or something like that, um, you know, as Marvel showed in 97, just trying to uh, all of a sudden become a major portion of the industry overnight, uh, it's tough to do, you know. Uh, so uh, that's why I was cautious about a lot of these these new ideas because, you know, just, just jumping into a thing that, you know, hasn't been planned out, hasn't been thought ahead, um, you know, that that's what scared me the most about it. And uh, I am, you know unfortunately one of those people who had reservations but did not have any solutions uh i still don't have any solutions but um i feel like that's just kind of where the industry is right now Uh, a lot of problems and not a lot of clear solutions um so hopefully somebody at diamond uh has had the foresight to start planning in case anything like this ever comes up again or they've been having conversations with marvel and dc um because i think where we are, or just the way the industry is structured, a lot of that stuff, it has to come from Diamond and the publishers. You know, retailers can set up a nest egg, they can set up mailaways, they can do all this stuff. Um, but as far as getting the product out, we don't really have any control over it. Um, so we we do need that support from the, uh, the publishers and the distributor. Um, but uh, there is some things we can do to prepare for it a little better as well next time, I think. 
John, I want to follow up on something you said, like sure. the first two or three sentences out of your mouth. Yeah. To me, I read this. I read this situation <laughs> as DC had been thinking about this for a while. That was just kind of my read on it. Like, yeah, I, I think at some point they had lost their option to buy out Diamond, or or, or it was something like that. The, the there had been something of a rift between the two companies, mm. and it seemed a little opportunistic, uh, but. You seem to think that I don't know what you think on that question. So I'll ask uh, you. Well, with DC, uh, I mean, this is a big problem. There's all kinds of rumors and innuendo coming out of DC. Um, you know, ever since Didio left. Yeah, since Didio left <laughs> or was fired. <laughs> you know, the big one that I keep hearing uh, from other retailers is, uh, you know, Didio was the big supporter of the direct market there, um, and Jim Lee, the publisher left standing, was a, a proponent of digital. Um, and uh, <clears throat> we've known for, for a while, or it's been a, at least I've heard it bandied around by pros and, and folks that I've talked to at DC, that uh, leadership at DC has been asking every couple of years, why are we still printing comics? You know, why are we not either A, licensing production, or B, going all digital to, to you know, to cut out a lot of the expenses of print? Um, and uh, I'd heard Didio was the one sort of saying, no, no, we should keep printing stuff. Um, uh, or when producing it in-house as well. Um, so could they have had this in the works for a while? Yes. Um, but I think the way they rolled it out um, said to me more that this was a, even if they had been thinking out, thinking it out for a while, they didn't, you're thinking about pulling the trigger on something like this for a while rather, um, that they, they didn't actually have a plan to do so. Um, you know, the releases they put out, it was three very small releases and some second printings and, um, you know, a couple graphic novels that they may have just had sitting around anyway. Um, and not even to mention the fact that the, the printer was still shut down at that time. So even if you wanted to start distributing print, uh, where are you going to get it printed up? You know, it, stuff just doesn't appear, unfortunately. Um, so I, I, I'm mostly shocked that they didn't go harder into digital um, after letting DC or letting Dan Didio go. Um, I thought that was going to be a, a sign that they were moving more towards digital. Um, so with DC deciding to cancel their digital releases, uh, that, that was a big surprise to me, um, but not an unwelcome one. But. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about the May 20th date? You know, obviously, again, a lot of a lot of comic shops are still closed. Probably, likely, will still be closed. Uh, you know, if they're not doing curbside pickup or shipping, like you mentioned, is it is it too soon? Um, still, or is it too hard to tell at this point? <laughs> I everything's up in the air, so uh, you know, anyone's guess is as good as mine. I will say, we still got rent to pay, so uh, getting new product to sell to actually you know, get some money coming in instead of just uh, living off whatever shreds of eBay we can still, uh, you know, if we haven't sold off all our best stuff on eBay yet, um, in terms yeah. of back issues, just to get some cash flow coming in. Um, so I, I'm i all for putting out new material. Um, you know, I, I think most stores are. Um, we're going to do our absolute best to, to do the uh, either the curbside pickup or the mail away thing. Uh, we're probably going to promote the mail away uh, if the state's still shut down more than uh, more than the curbside. But 
you never know. I think if you turn on the news, you can see people are look anxious to get out of the house. So uh, uh, the curbside may be a, a pretty popular option just as an excuse to go somewhere. Yeah. I mean, people are anxious to get out of the house, but, uh, you know, our, our governor in particular is, is I don't think, anxious to uh, let them. <laughs> yeah, unless he's sending cops around to every door to hold the doorknob shut as people try and get out. Um, yeah, uh, you know, that's true. I don't think we'll have many armed marches in Jersey, but maybe I'm just, you know, wishful thinking. Not where we are. You go up into north, north Jersey and... Mm. That's some scary places up there. There, there have been rallies in Trenton, but uh, are, are you talking about more like like Sussex County up in the mountains? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm talking the place where the northern branch of the clan used to be headquartered back in the oh. 30s and 40s. R- read your uh, history of Superman smashes the clan, folks. Yeah, New Jersey ha- is might be a northern state, but there are parts of it that are not as northern as you'd think. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, boy. Um, you know, getting getting back to, to DC for a second, you know, we talked about uh, digital, and obviously in the, in the past, like, week or so, D- DC's decided to just sort of mine all its Walmart giants now for, quote-unquote, digital first stories uh, to kind of keep the home fires burning in, t- in addition to releasing kind of a smattering of, of titles a week. But they've also, you know, over the past couple of years, you know, made major entreaties into the book market with, with you know, what were originally called their Ink and Zoom lines. Uh, you know, if, you know, we've talked a little bit about DC kind of going digital, but They've also very much been coming, been becoming a a bookstore publisher. Uh, you know, I'd almost argue that they're doing in, in terms of diversifying the portfolio. They've been doing that a lot better than you know. So I mean, let's face it, Marvel is not even trying. And yes, yes, yes Dan, I'm I'm pointing right at you. Yeah, I've got so much. I'm so excited <laughs> well, to talk about this. It, it, just for one second for you, Marvel doesn't. I think Marvel feels like they don't need to try. When you're more oh, exactly. than 50% yeah. of the industry when it comes to floppies, it's like, yeah, whatever. I, I don't yeah. need to try. <laughs> keep device, to keep diversifying. More room for us to flood with floppies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so, with the graphic novel sales, um, the young adult ones, it has been... Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a, For me, it's been one of the coolest things that's happened in the industry in a while because it's not only putting books into different places they weren't before on display with mm-hmm. young adult writers that people who are uh, reading those kinds of books know the names of and trying to diversify that with new artists, um, kind of new styles with art, which is really cool. Um, it's also giving a chance for all these characters who will appeal to younger audiences a chance to breathe. Um Mm-hmm. Within hours, the Raven book went back to print, and it was on um, like all the bestseller lists because it, that sold like hotcakes. Um, being able to get young readers these books is how you get new readers. Because eventually, all of us will stop reading books because we're old white guys, and eventually we all die. <laughs> um, but getting those new readers out of different audiences and getting books into those kids' hands is uh, it's. It's incredible because it gives them their own foot into the industry. 
because kids aren't going to go to the store and pick up a floppy because you're going to see a number like 365 or 53 and you're going to be like, I'll never be able to catch up on that. And that is intimidating, especially to younger audiences. So with these books, you find your character. And then from there, you can find more entrances into the the whole comics world. Um, Along with that, um, young adult graphic novels uh, sell really, really well. Um, Mm -hmm. With the stats, I have actually had to do a bunch of research for these. Um, Graphic novel sales in bookstores went up 16.1% in 2019. Um, And if you look up the stats for the... So the Captain Underpants guy has a new series called Dog Man Mm -hmm. or Dog Dog Man. Dog Man. Oh, yeah. My son's got all those books. Flies off the shelves. Yep. Gangbusters. And with that book, they also sell in Target. So if you go Mm -hmm. to these other places, like box stores who are selling more comics along with DC's Giants, they're really... kind of diversifying their their whole portfolio and getting it into different hands and making it more accessible than Marvel is. They've got the movies. They 100% got that, but Marvel movies don't sell books. So um, DC's trying to get these books into kids' hands, which is what I'm... Accessibility is my thing. Like That's what I'm all about with comics because I want more people to enjoy them. So being a DC uh, cheerleader has been pretty good for me on the accessibility front. Also, the books have a very diverse cast, which I'm all about. I I binged the hell out of uh, seven or eight of the what were the Zoom books mm-hmm. earlier in this quarantine because I have a bad habit of buying trade and buying trade and buying trades, and there are stacks of them, just stacks of them everywhere. And I was like, okay, I can get through. These are meant for a younger audience. I can probably get through a bunch of these in a few days. And th- not only are they in general really good, but the ones that I really liked were not the ones I was expecting to be my favorites of the lot. Which ones uh, did you like? Green Lantern Legacy. Yeah, I've heard and a lot of good things about that. That one and um, Meg Cabot's Black Canary. Which I, I was honestly, I was like, okay, it's Black Canary. I'll I'll pick it up because I want to support the character. But it was it was really enjoyable, and it, it had Wildcat. I miss Wildcat. <laughs> I had a friend growing up who was like a huge Meg Cabot stan. So I've known that that name for like my entire life. But then I'm looking at these books coming out. I'm like, what the f- Meg Cabot's <laughs> writing Black Canary. so getting those different audiences with those different authors and voices is like oh I did the uh, okay symbol (laughs) chef's kiss Yes. forgot no one's going to see my beautiful face (laughs) and I'm I'm probably going to get through a pile of the ink ones over the course of the next couple of weeks before things start rolling out I'm really looking forward to the, uh, the Cassandra Cain one that I haven't had the chance the time to read yet I wish they kept the names. Those are great names, Ink and Zoom. Yes. Yes, I agree. I I think just calling the whole thing DC for younger readers is somewhat homogenizing and dull. It, it is, and it was like one of those weird changes that didn't need to be made. It, you know, And it was right around the time they shuttered Vertigo, too. So yeah. it was like, while we're at it, let's just 
I don't know. And none of those move, lines were move the bookshelf over there. Old at that point either, so it's you know less than a year in, and we're rebranding. It just mm-hmm. too like it. In my store, at least they were selling, so I was like, why would you rebrand something that's working? I get why you're dropping Vertigo sales that have been in the toilet so long. It's surprising it actually made it this far. But uh, mm-hmm. for the Ink and Zoom, they were very strong brands in our store, and. Um, just from looking at sales figures, they appear to be strong all over. So I, I was surprised to see them consolidate those. How how do the, the the younger reader graphic novels do on the on the whole? I mean, I know you know I know we just talked about Ink and Zoom, but in terms of everything else, like your Raina Telgemeiers and your Dogmans and stuff like that, do you know do people come into uh, the shop looking for that? Oh content? yeah, I mean Raina is the queen of everything. Younger readers, I mean her books. I have to put at least two or three of her books on the reorder list every week. You know, we reorder multiple copies, but they still sell out um, so fast. Uh, they're, they're very popular. Um, the ink books, we had Raven for its first couple months of release was like that as well. Uh, it, it just kept going off the shelves. Uh, we, we couldn't keep it in, um, which, you know, for us, for a store like us, you know, selling two, three copies of the same graphic novel in a week is ridiculous if, if it's not brand new. Um, so I, we were very pleased with how well that did. Um, and it, it was, uh, bringing in a lot of kids, um, coming in to, to buy stuff. Um, you know, we'd have, they sent posters, we put it in the window, um, that kind of stuff. So it, it brought a lot of younger readers into our store and not just, uh, bringing readers to the characters in the, in the big box stores, which it's doing now. But, um, I'm going to go ahead and speak for most of us and say, we probably started young. Um, you know, I started when I was eight or nine reading comics. Um, and uh, that was, you know, in the 90s when things were getting a little risque. You know, you had your life <laughs> uh, uh, just the way they drew women, even if the stories didn't necessarily have any sexual elements to them. Um, just the way they were presented, you were like, whoa, that's that's not appropriate for all, all ages. Um Oh, so, Lady Death. And yeah, and, and Matt will back me up on this. We get kids in all the time, and parents were like, oh, what Batman book can I give to my kid? And we're like, uh, hold on, do we give them the one where the Joker is beating everyone to death with a crowbar and cutting their faces off? Or do we give them the one? Yeah. Um, so for a long time, it, the answer to that was, uh, how about not Batman? How about... Uh, oh, oh, that's That's nicer. I, I was How never about bone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was never more glad. It was I think right around the time that I stopped working at Dewey's when they started releasing the Batman Adventures, the original Dini, mm-hmm. the the stuff that tied into the, the Batman the animated series in trade for the first, you know, in really a comprehensive collection of it because it was like this I can sell to kids. Finally. Yeah. It was tough for a few years there. Uh, so, John, I, I got another question for you. Um, yeah, ask him away. My, my son is not a reader, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a good boy, but not a reader. Um, sure. How are the kids uh, getting into your store to pick up these these books? Like, where do they hear about these books? Uh, man, that's actually a great question. I'm not sure. Um, they, the front door, I guess, Uh be the easy answer um you know i i know a lot of the the scholastic ones the the reinas the dogman um 
Diary of a Wimpy Kid still does pretty well, so, you know, books like that. Um, they have, like, the scholastic book fairs in schools. Um, so I know that's where a lot of kids are first exposed to those kind of books. Uh, and then, you know, Madison's great for foot traffic. Um, so that's where we get a lot of customers, new customers coming in. They just walk by and they say, oh, look, a comic book store. You read those comic books at school? Or the kids would be like, oh, I read comics, uh, or I saw these comics at the library or at school, and they come in, um, they see the things they love, and we've got a big, uh, big-ish, I guess, a uh, couple bookcases of uh, younger reader books, and when they come in, we sort of direct them that way, because, again, Joker cutting people's faces off, <laughs> we don't really um, <laughs> want them to grab that off. And, and let me tell you, young kids, little kids especially, there was a, a time where every five-year-old would just make a beeline because we kept it in alphabetical order and Preacher would be near the bottom of the shelf. I don't know how every five-year-old, their initial instinct led them directly to that shelf to pull Preacher off, but that would happen a couple times a week. So, God uh, bless the children. get that a little higher up. Uh, <laughs> but it, yeah. um, I, I'm not sure where they're first encountering it. I, From what I can gather... It's a lot of uh, in the library because a lot of school libraries will carry those series and uh, the scholastic book fairs, which are popular in a lot of schools. Um, they encounter them through that. I, I don't know if there's any, uh, you know, online, you know, marketing or, or groups or anything like that that comes through it or that comes from their friends. Um, but I think uh, as far as I'm aware, those are the two big avenues for it. I think a lot of the marketing for uh, the DC, the young adult books, is through Instagram and Facebook and things like that. Mm. Just different social media platforms I know the kids are on. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, but like some characters, like I guess like the Harley Quinns and the Ravens are a little bit easier to get into. But I would never go out of my way to pick up like a, a Zatanna book if I was a kid. Like, I wouldn't have known who that was, but she's got one and I'm pretty sure it sold pretty well. It was and it was good. I read uh, I read that one recently as well, and it was fun. And, and it had Clary and the Witch Boy because that's a character that every child should learn more about. <laughs> Clary and the Witch Boy. Yeah, I, well, there must be some online element to it because you said Zatanna, and there were kids coming in when that book came out, and they were like, "Oh, a Zatanna book." And I'm like, "You're six. How the heck do you know who Zatanna is?" <laughs> Injustice superhero oh. girls. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, ah, the, okay. yeah. This both the uh, she's one of the characters that was in both the original and the second incarnation of Superhero Girls, which I don't know uh, it, if it has any real oomph behind it. But Cartoon Network has never treated DC's more recent animated forays, with the exception of Teen Titans Go, with a lot of you know, marketing push. I mean, Justice League action was on at 6.30 in the morning on Saturdays n without any, you know, commercial push for it. So that one died a quick and painless death to everyone who didn't watch it. It was a lot of fun, actually. Yeah. Um, but Superhero Girls, at least I do see commercials for that amongst, you know, other things when I'm watching things on Cartoon Network or, you know, jumping through commercials because who really watches commercials anymore? Um, but still. I think Teen Titans Com Go. Commercials are depressing now, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All the brands are here for you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, Superhero Girl, speaking of that, again, that's one... That one is one we had uh, whenever a new volume comes out. We just have trouble keeping it on the shelves for a while. Um, and the, the older volumes sell all the time. So uh, whatever they're doing to get that one out there, it's working. I know the toy sales for those is really good, too, because Teen Titans Go and the Superhero Girls sell toys really well. And that's why they get to stay on air, because Young Justice did yeah. not sell toys very well. And then it went off the air. Yeah, but Young Justice toys suck. Yeah, I was going to say, they didn't really do anything great there. I miss the wholesome days of cartoons like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that had nothing to do with merchandise at all whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that and He-Man and Thundercats, because there were no toys for those lines. None whatsoever. And they never touch at any kind of lesson. No. <laughs> so, uh, in in the interim you know, during this period, you know, what, what is, what has Dewey's been doing to kind of stay connected and, and retain, you know, some semblance of audience. You know, I, I imagine it helps that, uh, Anthony, uh, Marquis who owns Dewey's, you know, also owns the Kubert school. Mm -hmm. You know, I know he's been doing a lot of online social media stuff through there. You know, what, what's, what's the strategy been to kind of keep the home fires burning? Uh, Dewey's has been pretty low key. Like I said, we've, we've been putting some stuff up on eBay, uh, back issues just to get some cash flow going. Um, there haven't been any, you know, new comics for a while. So, uh, we haven't really sold much, but, uh, for people that have, backed up reserve boxes um, or just couldn't make it in the, the week of the shutdown and had stuff left over. Um, at the beginning, we you know went back one day, rang everybody up and mailed it out uh, that had contacted us uh, and we're still you know via email just sending out a blast every once in a while saying, hey, we're still here. Um, if you want something, you know, let us know. We can ring it up and mail it out to you if we've got it. Um, I don't, uh, Diamond's not still open yet, so if we don't have it, we can't really get it yeah. for you. Um, but other than that, uh, whatever we got, we're still uh, trying to do some sales. It's, it's not going great. Um, but, uh, you know, what can you say? For a business where, you know, almost half your business is people just walking in off the streets, uh, not being able to open your door, it, it's just kind of tough. I'm curious, uh, for those of us, I assume, being that we're all fairly tuned in to the industry, Marvel released their releases through the beginning of July, the end of last week. And it seems Mm -hmm. like it's a week of floppies, a week of trades, a week of floppies, a week of trades then some trades and floppies and a week of trades. Do we think that that's going to have some weird sales patterns for stores? Uh, Absolutely. I mean, if you're not doing any floppies in a week, that's going to be huge. I mean, uh, people can talk about how, uh, you know, I mean, sales were actually increased last year, according to Comicron anyway. Um, but, uh, a lot of it was variant based, but no matter what you think about floppies, it's still, at least at our store, more than half of our income for the week is floppies. Uh, so if you've got weeks where that's, they're just not coming, uh, those are going to be harder weeks, um, no matter how many graphic novels you release because the, the ratio of what you sell to those, um, it, it just doesn't compare. 
I would have preferred a much more even distribution of floppies uh, across their release schedule than than the holes on the floppy releases. It's a, it's also a very uh, conservative release schedule if you look at it. I mean, there's more product because it's Marvel. There's always more product, but like if you look at the things that aren't there, the things that they were hyping, you know, in February, uh, you know, for three months out, like you know, there's at least two X-Men launches that have been completely pushed back in X-Factor and Children of the Atom. And, you know, it, it looks like the whole X of Swords thing is, is getting pushed to the fall. And man, I know I saw the Empire Preludes, but not I, until, you know, I, I think not until the end of yeah. June, the first one comes out June yeah. 24th. So it'll be a month of releases before that hits. You know, which on the one hand makes sense because, listen, if we're going to slow roll this, you know, why put out a big book when the audience may not be there to buy it? But on the other hand, why not put out a big book because we need to get the audience back and, and you know, restore consumer confidence? You know, where, 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 where do we fall on that? I also wonder, I believe June, that week, June 24th was the week that DC said Batman 92 was supposed to drop and Marvel yeah. does have a, Marvel and DC both have a habit of doing that you're going to release your big book fine I want to release my big book the same week to make sure mm-hmm. that you don't completely clobber us that week versus having some sort of, okay, well, you get this week, I get this week thing that movie studios usually do where you logically don't want to put your relatively big movie up against the new Star Wars or Fast and the Furious. So I'm going to work around that and counter-program another week. Comics is like, nope, we're going to try to put everything else out to create a week of every big book coming out at once. Nothing like a good game of chicken. And uh, <laughs> a, a part of sort of Marvel's decision making, I wonder how much of it is just kind of trying to line up their calendar better. The, the one thing that I noticed from their release schedule that was missing that I was interested in, uh, the new Marvel zombies. Like that, that had totally disappeared. That was supposed to be a spring book. And now... I presume, like, if you've got Marvel Zombies, why not push it to Halloween, right? So I, I wonder if that True. if that kind of plays in their decision-making, too. Like, just naturally lining up their calendar just a little bit better. I'm just excited to meet the guy who's excited for Marvel Zombies. Look, <laughs> I love Philip <laughs> Kennedy Johnson, and I will fight any of you who say otherwise. I don't care. Because the better he does, the more likely it is we get a second volume of Warlords of Appalachia. All right? Okay? That's it. That's the only reason I'm going to buy seven of his Marvel Zombies. I will encourage all of my friends to buy seven. And then we'll we'll just try to get him at a better place in his career. The whole... The Marvel... <clears throat> there was not a lot of transparency during all of this up until um, recently. No. And I know a, a couple other big publishers were pretty transparent with what's going on and like trying to be more communicative, which is awesome. Um, Boom Studios. What'd you say? 
I said Boom I, That's what I was going to talk about next, just because Boom is doing the first day initiatives, which, like, a lot of the different things, like um, the full return ability, the variants, um, and things like that, they're, they're really trying to help the stores. Um, they're doing everything they can. Like, mm-hmm. they're not the biggest publisher, but, like, they're doing what's best for the customers. And then Marvel is still no word on their alliances to Diamond. So... I think the fact that they're not coming back on the 20th with there's a statement there. I don't know what the statement is, but it's it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at that initial release, it's like everything DC put out <laughs> in the interim plus some new books and then you get like a smattering of of most of your other publishers. There's a, there's a couple notable absences. I'm really worried about Ahoy Comics right now. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> Art Sealy, if you're listening, you're not. But uh, just let us know everything's okay. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's the the Marvel May 27th announcement was interesting. Kind of took me by surprise. Uh, to me, one of the big sort of questions in all of this is why has image been so quiet outside of Larson who like said, no, 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 we're not going to put out books until like diamond opens up. But like every other part of the company was like, shh, nothing. Yeah. Especially as image tends to have people who do love to talk. I mean, yeah, no, and they were definitely one of the ones, like, at the beginning of all this, putting out, like, you know, letters from Eric Stevenson and everything's like, we stand by Diamond, we stand by the direct market, you know, everybody should do what we're doing, um, you know, and then, you know, that weird sort of rivalry with Boom Studios that they've developed because Boom is, is becoming, like, the number four publisher uh, and, and everything, but, uh, yeah, no, you're right, we really haven't heard anything recently you know, apart from Larson running his mouth and, and, and Liefeld selling his drawings online. Liefeld doesn't count for anything. Let's, let's be clear. <laughs> the Rob sucks. <laughs> oh. Yeah. All he wants what? is some pouches and swords and boobies and... No, that's it. That's all he wants. Yeah. <laughs> McFarlane has been doing a whole series of interviews with Newsarama, I believe but mostly just sort of being Todd McFarlane about things and not speaking to anything terribly substantive. Aside from his toys. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. got a lot of substance with that toy. <laughs> there was, I remember, I can't remember, there was one article, and I, Lord knows I'm not going to be able to find it, but it was something about him commenting on the next generation of superstar creators, and I'm like, when have you cared enough about comics in the past 20 years to really speak to that? Because when was the last time you created any comic creation? Listen, there's a lot of great new young talent out there. Have you heard of this, Brian Michael Bendis? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he would never give any props to Bendis after that. Their whole falling out over uh, Sam and Twitch and Hellspawn. (laughs) <laughs> that was, that was a, a, a fiery rivalry, you know, back in 2001. Sometimes I forget uh, Spawn is still like a comic book. Um, uh, Spawn 300 was one of the best-selling comics of last year. Yeah, I, I know, but it's just like, we're talking about the 97. I've literally been sitting here thinking about, man, Spawn's really been going. 
Well, Savage, Savage Dragon was supposed to hit 250 this year. Uh, that was one of the, the ones that got uh, swept up, and also I think Larson was behind anyway. Oh, yeah. Larson is, in theory, if Spawn is at 300, Savage Dragon should be at like 290. 290. But there, Larson has taken periods off because he, he, he writes and draws every issue of that book. More power mm-hmm. to him. I mean, he's going to be up there with your, you know, Dave Sims in longest run on an independent book. Not that anyone wants to be kind of grouped in. With I was going to say. Still. You can compete with Dave Sim for a lot of things. <laughs> uh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, but um, let's 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 move to another side of the coin here because Will, you are you're a digital man. Uh, how how long have you would you say you've would you've been a, a primarily digital reader? Oh, jeez, um, I I I am a late in life comics guy. Um, as a kid, this this is this is embarrassing. Um, my only experience with comics was my room as a child was just filled with uh, Star Trek Next Generation stuff. Like I had, I had everything I could possibly collect: the the action figures, posters, models, uh, and some of that was the comics. And I read like a couple Next Gen comics as a kid, like in the old DC line. And then I just kind of like didn't read any comics for forever. Um, ten years ago, I I started uh, working out, trying to lose weight, going to the gym a whole bunch. And being on a treadmill at the gym is boring as hell. And Preach. yeah, <laughs> it got to a point where it's like, my God, I just I need something to do. Please, dear Lord, give me something. Um, and so I had an iPad and Comixology and like the very first comic I started reading, like, like this is going to totally date me as to how recent I am. Batman 66. Like that was, that was my first comic. Um, and then after that it was like, well, gee, every other, you know, DC thing and Batman thing I could possibly consume. Um, so, so I guess it was right around like 2011, 2012, somewhere around in there. Um, and yeah, I am like 98% comicsology reader. Um, and I, I remember doing an interview with, uh, oh, what's that feller's name? David, um, the head of comicsology. Oh, oh shit. Now blind. Stein, Stein something. That guy. Um, yeah, that guy. Yeah, he said like, look, our data shows when we have a digital person, eventually they will start to buy comics. And and that's true. Like I, I got, you know, I've got a, a small little collection of, of stuff that I thought was interesting or that I like or stuff that I can't get digitally. Um, and I, I, I like it. Like it's nice being able to carry around like my entire collection. Um, I hate having to rely on comicsology because as, um, as a monopoly, they have 
no incentive to innovate. So they haven't redesigned their app in like five years. Uh, their service is slow and creaky. Uh, unlimited is nice, but you know, I buy like way too many comics, so it's not particularly useful for me. Uh, but um, I, I think however you choose to consume comics, it's going to have positives uh, and negatives, advantages and disadvantages. Uh, but uh, I, I like my life. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's good. That is good to know. Um, you know, given given that that is is the, you know the primary way you consume your com- consume your comics. You know, when when Diamond shut down and the publishers decide, you know, most of the publishers decided, okay, we're we're just going to hit pause. You know, on on physical as well as digital. You know. What was kind of going through your head? You know, were you cool? You know, waiting at you know prime, you know, previously an indeterminate amount of time for new content. Did you feel like, well, I mean, if the stuff's already been written and drawn, I mean, why not just put it out there? You know, what what were you? What, you know, what was going through your head? I think I would be a little bit more peeved if I didn't know how small a percentage like the digital only side represents, like. That's the only reason why, like the comic, in- the comics industry basically shut down. Like, I think they have given up on trying to grow like the digital only side. So, I understand basically that uh, I am going to be like saddled to you know to the print folks, um, and I was like, eh, okay, um, you know, every, every week dutifully I trolled, uh, you know, the new releases of Comicsology, looked at all of the sad self-published stuff and i'm like god i wish this i wish this was better um why why don't like half of you buy you know services for you know a letterer because all of this is terrible uh the other half of you need an editor and god bless you i understand that we all have dreams but sometimes your dreams are bad and dumb and you shouldn't um but like that's that's like the self-published stuff on comicsology like sometimes it's you know um god i i, I was trying to remember oh, oh oh that's right i um i think the worst thing i've found re- and this is a total tangent but the worst thing i've found recently and this almost like vaguely like dates back to the 90s it's some the name is like spying with lana or like lana the spy or is something real like real bad and it's crazy yeah (laughs) it's 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 this pinup mag and like this this guy thinks he's writing some like smart like spy satire and it's just it's just bad and terrible but anyway that that was all comics that she had for like four weeks so i i I, I didn't buy any of it, but I certainly looked. I looked at it, um, but I, I, I guess I just accepted it for what it was. I'm like, yeah, this is bad, but like, I get it. I get it. Like, the 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 market share is not big enough. Uh, they don't want to, I guess, alienate the retailers, uh, and yeah, it makes sense. So I I suppose mm-hmm. my my biggest feeling was just sort of resignation. I'm like, eh, okay. Okay. Um, kind of moving on, kind of apart from comics, but you know, kind of speaking to the larger culture. At, at this point, we've already canceled or postponed pretty much every con out to San Diego. 
you know, mid to late July. Um, should we should we call it a wash for this year? At this point, you know, New York, Baltimore, which we were actually going to go to, you know, what, what you know, what, what are your what are your thoughts? Uh, you know, is ever has ever, I mean, are we all like squicked out by? Uh, I'm pretty much mass crowding. It shows at this point. I'm pretty much in favor of waiting till the last possible second to uh, you know cancel stuff. You know, whether that's a week out, a month out. Um, you know, just uh, for the sake of trying to get back to normal, um, give people something to look forward to, even if it's yanked away at the last second. Um, but yeah, if they just, uh, go along, proceed as normal as if everything's going to go on, um, maybe just put holds on credit cards, but don't actually charge them until, uh, you've got the actual go ahead to get going on things. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't have any problem with them waiting to, to decide whether or not they're going to hold it uh, as long as they possibly could because, frankly, uh, not just because, you know, I want to go to a lot of conventions, um, but also because of how many people's livelihoods depend on these conventions specifically. You know, how many artists do you hear talking, you know, over half my income is it from conventions or uh, commissions and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So, uh, just a lot of people's jobs depend on this stuff. So, uh I'm okay with waiting, even though if it can get kind of frustrating with people not knowing one way or the other uh, whether or not they're going to be able to attend a convention or, or that kind of stuff. But um, doesn't bother me if they want to wait. I have a unique perspective on this, since not only does my hobby slash wish fulfillment career uh, <laughs> depend upon you know mass gatherings, but my career career does since for those of you who don't know i'm the it guy for one of pennsylvania's leading regional theaters so i have a whole other industry that is trying to figure out exactly this right now and it's hugely up in the air everywhere i don't know a theater that runs on what is one of the more normal theater schedules, which is either a school year or a summer stock that has not just thrown up its hands for the balance of this season. And, I mean, we're looking to be back in our new normal, whether that involves some socially distanced seating or whatever, come the beginning of next season, so September. We're selling subscriptions and everything. So I'm kind of in the same place as John is, where I think, okay, let's sell fewer tickets. I mean, I know that's not ideal for the convention, but for we, San Diego and New York, I don't think are going to be able to have that level of tight packed oh my god i can't breathe because if i do i'm gonna knock in to the person in front of me that they did anymore i don't think any convention is because i think there as much as people want to be back to the to normal there's going to be a new normal so i think the the convention circuit slash industry needs to really sit back and consider what social distancing, what 
all of the other things that have changed, how that's going to affect their business. So I think, while I would like to see things move forward more quickly and kind of have that model that John said, where you don't cancel until closer to the day. I think with that as something weighing upon them, we are going to see at least New York. I mean, I don't think anyone's expecting the Javits center, which is currently a, you know, triage hospital to be ready for New York comic con. But I think, I mean, Baltimore's a big, big, maybe, because that would be right on the edge of when things could start to be more normal, but they're going to have to consider all of these new factors in the entertainment industry that everyone who's working in it, whether it's movies or TV or live theater have to consider. Yeah. I, um, I worked in the fitness industry. Um, Everyone took a huge hit. I lost my job. Um, so, oh, no, it's, it's fine. I'm fun employed. Um, but just having these industries, pretty much a lot of them are on life or death, depending on when this comes back. Um, so I, I mm-hmm. hope it comes back. Philly, um, Keystone is until August. And I'd love to yeah. have that again because it's a train ride from me. Um, and it's one of the ones I can probably get press passes to. Um, yeah, same. And it's it's a smaller show, so it's there wasn't a ton of people there last year, so they could hopefully keep it like that. They got Jim Lee this year. I don't know if he'll actually come, but I hope it. I hope the year isn't a wash, um, because that I don't know. It just kind of makes it a lot worse. Like it makes it a lot more sad in in my mind to think like, oh, this stuff isn't coming back. Yep. Uh, the uh, <laughs> the closest major con to me is uh, Dragon Con over in Atlanta, the Labor Day weekend, and I fucking hate those guys. So fuck <laughs> fuck that. I hope it gets canceled. Uh, but I, I sincerely hope that the rest of your cons uh, go on as scheduled. Um, for for the same reason that everybody does. Like right, like I, nobody wants this to continue. Like I I can't I can't understand like these these angry protesters right now like we all want to get back to you know normal like i i can't stand the the stupid house like one more day like i want to get out i want to see students in the classroom and like talk to them like i want to delete zoom forever um (laughs) like nobody likes this this is not fun or cool um so yeah i i hope i absolutely hope but i expect that yeah, con season is kind of screwed. Um, but again, fuck Dragon Con. <laughs> How do you really feel, Will? <laughs> yeah. I, I want to yeah. be honest no, it, with the people. All right. Absolutely. We expect we expect nothing less. Yeah, I, I mean, definitely the the cons that are scheduled in convention centers that are currently uh, field hospitals, uh, New York. East Coast, which Matt and I uh, have been going to since its inception, those are probably well off. Uh, you know, it's it's funny. I had a guest on, whew, man, our February guests are, was it March? Our, our our March guests got so like our last couple of guests. Yeah, <laughs> I feel so oh, bad. That was, that. that was 
a sad time. Our last guest was Mariah McCourt, who was supposed to put out Ash and Thorn on April 1st. And then it got moved to April 29th. And then I haven't seen... Well, we've already talked about Ahoy. But uh, one of our other last guests was uh, my buddy Paul Brown, who was ready to put on a first-year con in Holmdale, New Jersey, on March 21st. The, uh, the weekend after Emerald City uh, didn't happen. Uh, yeah, no, it, heartbreaking. But uh, hopefully, eventually in the future, you know, what is, you know, but, but dealing with the here and now, you know, what is a way that that creators and fans can connect in in that way that they normally wouldn't a con you know that that sort of deeper more personal way uh you know that in a way that might be preferable to the the nightmare everyone's opinions are bad uh metal trash can that is uh twitter <laughs> uh listening to our podcasts very important <laughs> that that would be very helpful yes little bit uh, well, I, I will say that uh that charity uh fundraising drive that uh everybody did like uh, i don't know a couple of uh weekends ago that that was pretty cool um that was good uh, yeah. i uh i took zach kaplan up on like a big old uh poor to earth um uh, package and uh that that was kind of neat um so stuff like that like charitable stuff um uh you know outside of social media I, I don't know uh what we could do but uh uh you know it, it's it's kind of just sort of thinking outside the box like these are the things we can do right now let's try to you know do that stuff creatively uh just plug some projects from my boss actually uh Dan mentioned before mm-hmm. he uh Anthony Marquez he owns the Cooper school um, their Facebook page has been super active the past couple of months. Uh, almost every night they have uh, artists on and they do interviews um, every weekend. Uh, they used to do kids' classes at the school. They do free video classes, uh, again, through Facebook. Um, so, I, you know, just to plug him, uh, he's been doing a great job uh, with getting uh, some ways for people to interact with creators and, um, you know, get some free drawing lessons and all kinds of good stuff. Um, so I... I've been enjoying all that kind of stuff. First interview with Dan Didio after he got fired, so that was kind of fun. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, <laughs> he's been making the rounds. Well, what else has he got to do? <laughs> yeah, that's ah! true. <laughs> Him and uh, Steve Geffen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> suddenly they have time on their hands. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been expanding our somewhat what was semi-regular coverage to now pretty much weekly coverage of Kickstarter as well. Creators, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. And if you're a creator and you're listening and you haven't, you can go back and listen to episodes we've done with Jimmy Palmiotti and Fernando Ruiz, who both have talked about, you know, the ideal ways to do Kickstarters. Um, but that is a way, and, it is a way for creators to still create and to be able to interact directly with the people who really support and love their work. Absolutely. Um, let's let, so going back to creators for comics, uh, you know, again, which was awesome. And, uh, you know, uh, 
Will won one of the uh, the packages from Zach Kaplan. What is uh, what's your favorite thing that you bid on, regardless of whether you actually won the lot or not? Because the prices on some of those things went up first. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, for me, the one that I and I I kind of knew I wasn't going to get it. We weren't going to get it, but I really hoped for that Jason Aaron appearing on WMQ at WMQ and A. I would oh, love yeah. that. <laughs> I, I would have uh, I would have absolutely invited myself onto that because um, I th- and we would have let you I'd absolutely <laughs> uh, and and half of the conversation would have been Alabama football. Sorry, sorry guys. As long as the other half, was listen, Southern if, if Matt and I had sorry, if Matt and I had nickels for the number of times we've had guests on and one of us like got completely engrossed with the guest on, on you know, a, a non-comics external interest while the other one listened and smiled politely. <laughs> but, uh... It's good uh, times. Uh, coronavirus, if you're listening, I will fuck you up if you take away <laughs> Southern Bastards. <laughs> like, yeah. it was time. It was coming back this year. It was gonna happen. It was going to happen. I swear to God, I'm going to fuck you up if you take that away. <laughs> yeah, we, we need more Southern Bastards. We really do. <laughs> um, I, D- Dan, you got a favorite uh, Creators for Comics lot? Yeah, so Mitch Gerard's put up a page um, of Batman punching Professor Pig. And by the time I looked at it, it was already sky high. And I, sure. all I want to do is own something official with Professor Pig on it. I don't care who draws it. <laughs> I still need Professor Pig for my sketchbook. He's he's one of the characters I don't have yet. That, that's... He, he's such a he's a so the the Arkham Knight. The only good thing they did for the character is give him Crocs. I hated how they betrayed him, but he wore Crocs, and I was like, damn, that is um that is exactly what he would wear. <laughs> he sings opera. He's the he's the coolest. I just want more pictures of him in my life. <laughs> Dan, one thing I appreciate about you uh, coming from X Twitter is I feel like, you know, when it comes to DC villains, you have specific faves <laughs> like other people talk about, like Maggot or Pete Wisdom or, you know, in, in, Adam X the Extreme. Oh, yeah, well, I, I'm Adam X the Extreme guy, too. Um, yeah, <laughs> I... So I gravitate toward the weird or the sad. So Killer Moth is uh-huh. – I'll, I'll literally sit here for two hours and talk about Killer Moth because that <laughs> badass motherfucker puts on that costume <laughs> with the purple and the orange and the green – like the neon green. I don't accept any current iterations of him and goes out into Gotham City, murder capital USA, and gets his ass kicked by Batman. He has the goal to do it every night. He's out there. He's plugging away. Anything for fashion. <laughs> and then Mr. Freeze, and that's a that's a whole nother. Um, John, did you bid anything on? Uh, the, out of, I uh, did uh, not. I can't remember the exact terms of what Chip Zdarsky was auctioning off, but I knew I remember uh, I wanted yes. it very badly. But uh, once I saw the. I didn't. Uh, I didn't know about it right away. So it was a few days in before I found out they were even doing yeah. it because I had taken a break from all news things because I was very depressed um, because course, I wasn't, yeah. you know, 
at work, and that, that was very sad. Uh, by the time I actually saw the tweet with what he was offering, I was like, oh, shit, I want that pretty bad. Um, now I can't remember <laughs> what it was, so nobody reminded he me. Was, he was going to read you an erotic story starring yourself yes. on Oh, Zoom. my God. <laughs> I believe the winning bid was $420.69. That's <laughs> nice. Beautiful. Just beautiful. Uh, Thank you. Actually, I... I think it might have been more than that, and it was won by the uh, the comicsology guy that we can't remember his name, <laughs> David. Whatever. Oh my oh, god! That god damn it! And uh, I think we, he, we can't uh, have nice things. I think he like gave it to um, gave it to the internet. Like uh, whenever it happens, it's going to be like publicly available. Oh, good. Wow, well, that's nice. All right. Yeah. All right. More sorry, uh, I can't I, remember his name now. <laughs> uh, uh, Daniel, you can fix this in post, right? Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I bid $250 for uh, Leah Williams to take me on a drunken tour of her Animal Crossing island. <laughs> I have never played Animal Crossing. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that could all change tomorrow because... <laughs> Somebody's getting it for their birthday. Oh, uh, my song specifically. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's time for a time suck. <laughs> uh, what is what's something that you guys have been consuming or doing to you know keep your keep yourself uh, busy and mentally active? You know, it doesn't even have to be comics at this point. It doesn't even have to be a piece of media. You know, exercise, baking bread, hoarding toilet paper, getting day drunk on quality bourbon. <laughs> I'm looking at Will. Uh, you know what, what? What's your what's your kind of pick comfort pick right now? I've just been consuming the stacks of media that I have purchased and not consumed for the past several years. Um, I've read more books. Uh, I've got about thirty uh, graphic novels off my stack of shame of uh, books that I've read and never played. I watched Tiger King finally, you know, I was a few weeks after everyone else on that, but finally I broke down and did it. Um, you know, video game backlogs at an all time low too. So uh, just uh, consuming media in any form within arm's reach has basically been my plan. I've been walking, which is weird since we're supposed to be staying indoors, but nobody around my neighborhood is out. So I've been, walking on average of two and a half to three miles a day uh i find uh i have a bum ankle so the fact that i'm able to do that with no discomfort and i can usually hit about four miles before it really starts to act up is a good sign for me uh I've also been watching a shit ton of sitcoms and I'm, I, I like sitcoms, but I tend to be more of a one hour drama person. But over this time, it's like, okay, I'm going to rewatch parks and rec. I'm going to rewatch Brooklyn nine, nine. Uh, I just finished today. The first season of letter Kenny, which if you are unaware of letter Kenny, it is um, sort of, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, but set in rural Canada. It's got that level of, you know, weird and surreal of it's always sunny, but it's, you know, the, this group of hicks as they address themselves up in, you know, a town with 5,000 people up 
in Canada and all eight seasons are streaming on Hulu. It is exceedingly foul. There is no bleeping. <laughs> there is they they drop an f bomb every 30 seconds or so. Um, but it is completely insane and very funny and it's it's my my D group like most of the guys there had already watched it and they're like what you haven't i'm like no i don't know what the hell you're talking about just go on hulu i'm like okay and i, I was like huh yeah i see why you guys well, well, i see where this is coming from okay i can get behind this <laughs> well i started quarantine by uh running myself into a bad uh ankle um after that, I have transitioned into working on my Blu-ray collection uh, and convincing my wife to watch all of the Blu-rays that I want to watch. Um, I think the signature accomplishment there was getting her to watch Manhunter, uh, which is awesome, awesome. Love you, William. Yeah, love you, William Peterson and Michael Mann. Um, but yeah, just trying to trying to stay sane. Mostly succeeding. <laughs> um, my girlfriend finally convinced me to watch Avatar: The Last Airbender, so we binged that. The the movie or the cartoon? The cartoon. And then I okay. I saw that the movie was the thing. Like I never really got it. And then I like saw the clip mm. on like I saw a clip on Netflix, and I was like, "Who are those people?" And she goes, "Oh, that's them." And I was like, "No, it's not." <laughs> I'm like, "No, I'm good. I don't I don't ever need to experience that." Um, <laughs> I've, I've gotten yelled at a few times because I keep trying to restart The Sopranos because I finished it last <laughs> month. Um, and it's not, it, I haven't had enough time past to watch it again. Um, I've been, I've been trying to read different things. I caught up on Power Rangers, the book. Um, oh. I'm trying to catch up on non big two titles. So when everything is back to normal, I can give non big two titles more media spotlight because now i'm a writer at a, a pretty big website so i can do that so just trying to give indie and things like that bigger spotlights so trying to trying awesome. to keep doing that mm-hmm. um you know it, it it's funny i thought you know I, i'd have that sort of burgess meredith uh <laughs> time enough at last thing um I got one of the the, the the book that I cracked open right before this all started was uh, The Art of the Venture Brothers, which is oh. this uh, dark horse tome. And it is it's dense. Like I bought their uh, their Final Fantasy encyclopedia, which, uh, you know, we talked about last week. We had Charlie on the show. But, you know, those were like a, a breeze to kind of blow through. This is like it's it's eating like a meal. It's. Yeah, yeah. I got it uh, when it came out. I haven't finished yet, but what I've been doing with that book is I watch an episode because I'm rewatching the whole series mm. now. I watch an episode and then I read that episode summary in the art of book. Um, And uh, you're just finding all this stuff out. Like, you know, it always bothered me how, you know, uh, uh, shit. I can't remember his name now. Doctor Strange, but not Doctor Strange. Doctor Orpheus. Orpheus. Oh, I can't believe I just forgot that. <laughs> so mad at myself. Anyway, uh, there's a, a bookcase that's like six inches away from the wall, and there's a ladder going up behind it. And every time I see yeah, it, yeah, I'd yeah, be like, yeah. why the hell does he have that little space with that tiny ladder? And then in the book, you find out in the notes, it's like, uh, apparently when you're sending notes overseas, you have to be really, really specific <laughs> and careful what you say. 
because they had intended that to be like there would be a secret passage there that you couldn't see, but the Korean animators didn't pick up on that. And they're just like, all right, I guess he just wants us to draw a tiny ladder behind it for no reason. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I'm still in like the, the, the season one portion of the book and it's funny they're basically just kind of like yeah you know a lot of, you know these, these beats that we dropped that you know actually became things later yeah we didn't know what the <laughs> fuck we were doing it was it was very you know fly by the seat of their pants we didn't have our shit together until like the last two episodes of this season we um so i've never seen venture brothers but oh. i've seen I, I i was at a panel for them the creators and they uh-huh. just smoked e-cigarettes the whole time because mm-hmm. they weren't allowed to smoke regular <laughs> cigarettes anymore yeah. Was that so everyone was, uh, they were drinking Shasta out of uh, Snifters, or was that... Uh, it, they were it smoking into blue a whole cigarettes. Show. That's all smoking. And yeah, that was, that's all that, smoking. That's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. And I had never seen the show, and I'm sitting in this panel like, I maybe I should watch this. But oh, maybe yeah. maybe I should be... That should be my next one. Huh. It's, it is it is well worth it. And, and John, at some point, we will have you back on to discuss that book and Venture Brothers in general. Because oh, Dan and I have talked about this before, and we we will have you on for that. I'll be back for the uh, Squidbillies episode. <laughs> well, I guess as we're as we're you know wrapping up, guys, uh, any anything else that you know we didn't touch on, or that you want to bring up, or you feel like plug in, or anything? <laughs> Dan, you want to plug your cat? Yeah, this is this is Mira. <laughs> Um, named after the Aquaman's wife, and hi. And she, the only time she will come onto the desk is when I'm doing things or talking to people, and then she won't. Yep, there it is. She rubs her body against the mic. <laughs> uh, there we go. Yeah, um, yeah we uh, we just interviewed Michael Morisi, who wrote the Lost Carnival, a Dick Grayson graphic novel. So. We uh, nice. we started working with DC officially, so we'll be doing more interviews with the young adult writers, which I'm super excited about. Very cool. A book for those who don't know will be that book will be out in comic shops on May 20th. Well, guys, uh, thank you all so much for uh, coming on and and making making sense of of making sense of the senseless and 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 just. Just talking, reaching out, mm-hmm. <laughs> checking in, all good things. <laughs> uh, well, we've had a lot of fun, but that is it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ Presents on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ Presents and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, the ability to promote your work on our site, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice, and a $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail from my collection. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Young Ones Podcast, Robert Secundus from Docs Talks at XavierFiles.com, Scott Mardrzinski from MojoWorks.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel Spider-Woman series, and Saren. You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote. And me at MattLast1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox, plus sneak peeks at what's ahead and an early look at our weekly editorial. Finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views. 
And we'll see you next week uh, when I believe we're doing an animated discussions. 